Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Hey, good morning, y'all. Thank you so much for being here today. We have a lot of friends and family here um, that have come for our kids who are getting baptized today, and I'm grateful for y'all driving, and it is really great to be with our bigger family um, and to be back at church together. I have asked my kids, our big three, to come up and help me with the sermon, Um, uh, a little illustration to start out. So if y'all would come up, and Jared, who's my fourth son, um, if you'll, uh, so honey, honey, you stand right here. I'm just kidding. I love you. Jared, you stand right here. Hutch, you go stand over there beside Honey and Macy Hart's carrying. Who's she got? She's got a little huddle. So um, and Macy Hart, you can stand right over here. Okay. And if you are a kid and you are here and you are 12 years old or younger, would you raise your hand for me if you're a kid? All right. Awesome. We are so glad that you're here. I want you to listen really carefully today because we're going to talk a lot about being a kid and being a child today. And if everybody else that's here would turn in your Bibles with me. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 3, and we're going to be flipping through those first chapters of Luke. We're eventually going to land in Luke 3, but we're going to start in Luke 1. As I was studying and, and reading Luke, I was fascinated to see that Luke really is kind of like the Jesse Merriweather of the gospel writers. He eats details for breakfast, and he includes all these you know, incredible details in the, in the gospel of Luke. And, and I was struck by how much he wrote about the ages of Jesus. And how we see Jesus at all these different ages in just these first three chapters of Luke. And Luke starts out in verse 1 of chapter 1. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. A lot of people have written about Jesus. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So Luke is going to write an orderly account. He's going to say, this is what was going on when Jesus was this age. This is where it takes place. He starts out the next verse. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. We heard a little bit preached last week from Judson about when Jesus was, you know, more this age. But um, I am struck by all of these details that is included. So we're going to start off in Luke 2, 7. And in Luke 2, 7, we see that Jesus is a day-old baby, and he's wrapped in cloths, and he's lying in a manger. So I want you to try to picture a baby even, even younger than Huddle, right there, a day-old baby. Jesus was that little. He was that young. And in Luke 2, 21, Luke records that Jesus was eight days old. And then that is the day that he was circumcised and the day that he was given the name Jesus. And then in Luke 2, 22, Jesus was 40 days old. And Mary and Joseph took him to the temple to be consecrated. And last week, Justin preached preached about that and what happened in the temple with Simeon. And today, this guy and our other guy are 154 days old. And we have brought them to the temple to be consecrated through baptism today. But I want you to try to imagine the reality that Jesus was this size and this age at one point in his life. And then after he was little... We see that there's only one verse to sum up all the rest of Jesus' childhood before age 12. And Macy Hart is seven, and Hutch is nine, and they're going to represent our early years uh, of Jesus. And in Luke 2.40, Luke sums up all of Jesus' childhood in this one verse. He says, the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and God's grace was upon him. So kids, I want y'all to 
understand this, okay, Jesus was this tall at one point. He was seven years old at one point. Jesus was this tall at one point. He was nine years old at one point. Jesus grew and he became strong and he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was all over him. And Macy Hart and Hutch, you represent that verse really well because I have watched you grow to be strong and wise and the grace of God is over your life. And we hear that spoken over Jesus by Luke. And I'm so grateful that we get this picture that Jesus was actually fully human. And he was this size. Let's give it up for Macy Art and Hutch. Thank y'all. Y'all can go. Y'all two can go sit down, honey. You stay up. All right. So also in um, in the Bible we see that Jesus was twelve years old. In uh, Luke two forty two, Luke writes about what Jesus was doing when he was twelve years old, and he's with his parents at the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem, and then he gets separated from his parents and kids. If you want a fun story, ask your parents to go read you that story in Luke 2 about Jesus getting lost from his parents later today. But I wonder what Jesus was like when he was Macy Hart and Hutch's age and when he was 12 years old. Like, honey, did, did he have good friends? Did he like to play on the playground? It says he grew in strength. You know, did his mom get frustrated that he kept outgrowing his sandals? Did he play in the dirt and his mom get frustrated about how much laundry she had to do? Was Jesus a rascal like that? Did he worry about what clothes he was wearing and what school was going to be like? Did, you know, did he have to smell bad and wear deodorant and figure that out? You know, Jesus was all these different ages. He was from here to a 12-year-old. Jesus knows what you are going through if you're a kid. He has been there. He has experienced that. And then it says in Luke 2.52, we get one verse that summarizes the next 18 years of Jesus' life. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. If you're a teenager or a college student, you are growing in wisdom and in stature, and Jesus knows what it's like to be that way. Thank you, honey. You and Huddle can be seated. Thank you. Give it up for honey. Way to go. All right, lastly, we've got Jared here, and Jared is about 30 years old. He's a little bit younger, but he's representing our 30-year-old Jesus today. And in Luke 3.23, Luke writes about when Jesus was about Jared's height and when he was 30 years old. It says, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he, what? When he began his ministry, right? When he began his ministry, Jesus spent 30 years in preparation and in obscurity and in anonymity and for people to not know who he was in preparation for ministry. If you're in your 20s right now, and you're confused about the direction of your life, if you feel like you're in this holding pattern, if you feel like your life is very ordinary, then you're in good company because Jesus has been there. Thank you, Jared. You can be seated. Yeah, give it up for him too. All right, so what I'm trying to communicate here is that Jesus was fully human, that he grew and he waited 30 years before he began his ministry. And then the first thing he does when he begins his ministry, is what we're going to look at today, and that is Jesus' baptism. The rest of our time today, we're going to focus on this one actual account that happened in history at an actual place in the Jordan River over 2,000 years ago. It's recorded in all four Gospels, and in Luke 3.1, it tells us the specific point in history when this occurred. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and we're going to pick up the passage in Luke 
chapter 3, verse 7, and then we're going to go 15 verses to Luke 3, 22. But let's just start by reading the first verse and the last verse. So Luke 3, 7 says this, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? That's how John opens the passage. And then he ends it, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. John the Baptist begins this account by yelling at these crowds that were coming to be baptized. These people are coming, and he calls them, you know, this family of snakes, sons of serpents, people filled with venom and sickness and sin. And he points out their sin, and he points out their selfishness, and he calls them to repent. And then God the Father, his voice, ends the passage by speaking these famous tender words over his beloved son. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. So this week, we're beginning this new Epiphany sermon series, Meeting the Messiah. Where do we meet the Messiah in this passage? We meet Jesus in repentance and in baptism. It would be easier today to just focus on the end of this passage, Luke 3, 22, you know, when when we hear the voice of God give that incredible tender truth that is spoken over Jesus. But it's important that we start with verse 7, with John's call to repentance, because without the law, there is no gospel. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. It's one of the reasons that we so often begin our Holy Eucharist service by the priest who's leading the service of the day, leading us in either a summary of the law or the Decalogue. We read, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we think, man, I have not done that this week. We read the Decalogue, we read the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not, all these things. And we're like, man, I have done those things this week. And we're reminded of the law. And we're reminded of our sin and our need for Jesus. If we don't allow the law to condemn us, if we don't allow the law to accuse us, then we have no need for the gospel of God. If we don't understand the justified wrath of God against sin, then we have no need for the cross. If God is just nice and loving and accepts us as we are, then there's no need to be baptized. But the reality is that God's nature toward us is so loving that he hates anything that wants to destroy us. I was trying to explain this to um, one of our kids this week, and I was just like, okay, if some mean man came and he kidnapped your little twin brothers and he took them away and he hurt them, would you think that me as a good father would just let that go and be like, oh, that guy's probably, he's probably been hurt, and so he's hurting other people, it's okay. That would not be being a good father, right? A good father would fight for justice and hate evil and want to make it right. And y'all, we have a good father in our Lord who hates sin. One of my seminary professors, Dale Bruner, puts it this way. The wrath of God is not the irritability of God. It is the love of God in friction with injustice. God's wrath does not contradict God's love. It proves it. A love that pampers injustice is not lovable. You know, I've spent a lot of my life being beat up by my own sin and beating myself up and listening to the voices of accusation and condemnation. But thankfully, the older I've got, the quicker I run to the gospel when I hear those voices. The bad news is like, I still hear those voices all the time. 
I still, still run to sin all the time, but I'm getting a little bit quicker at running to God. The bad news is the older that we get, the, the more we're going to realize that that sin isn't going away, that we still have that, that sin nature that, that follows us everywhere we go. But the older we get and the more we walk with Jesus, hopefully, the quicker we'll run to the gospel when we hear those voices of condemnation. We will never be able to outrun sin, but we will also never be able to outrun the love of God, which is faster than our sin, which is faster than we can run away from God. In verse 7, the people are coming to John, and he calls out their sin. And in verse 10, the crowd says, okay, we're sinners. What should we do? And John answers this way. If you're looking in Luke 3.10, he says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. As I read that, I just thought about my closet and my cupboard and the, the many families that have just moved from Afghanistan to Greensboro who have nothing. Tax collectors don't collect any more than you're required to. Soldiers don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. And on hearing these things, the people started to wonder if John the Baptist was actually the Messiah because he was saying such powerful and convicting things to them. And then John answers their wonderings in verse 16, and he says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then in our last two verses, we get a look at Jesus. We get to watch the fire of God's judgment be put out with the water of Jesus' baptism. John the Baptist precedes Jesus in all four gospel accounts. And his job was to awaken the crowds and in us a desire to change and to repent and sorrow over our sin and then to point us to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Luke records in verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, the Lamb of God was there. Jesus was baptized too. I love that verse. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Doesn't it strike you how humble that Jesus is? That he would, that he would come as, as a little baby and be born in a manger and wrapped in cloths. That he would grow in wisdom and experience everything that we experience as children and go through everything you kids go through and you teenagers go through and you college students go through and you 20-somethings go through and you adults go through, that he would walk through that and share completely in our humanity and that he would be baptized along with all these other commoners and all these other people that day, that he would stand with his toes in the sand on the side of the Jordan River and he would know the number of the grains of sand on the ground and yet he was standing there, sun blinding his eyes, along with everyone else being baptized. Jesus is a humble servant who loves us so much that he has come to fully take on our humanity. And y'all, it is so important that we understand this. It is so important that we understand God in Jesus is fully human, fully God, and fully man. Because if we don't understand that, then the end of this chapter doesn't mean that much for us. But Jesus is fully human. He takes it all on for us. In verse 21, as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. 
And a voice came from heaven that said, you are my son whom I love and with you, I am well pleased. Why is this so important for us? Because if Jesus is fully human and if he has come to wrap himself in humanity, then we in turn can be wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. Jesus, Jesus wants us to know how completely human he is so much that right after this in Luke, if you'll look in your Bible, Luke 3, what happens right after the baptism of Jesus? There's this long, really boring part of the Bible to read. It's the genealogy of Jesus, and it traces all the way back to who? To Adam, to the first man. God called Jesus his beloved son, and for those who are baptized into Christ, he wants to give us that same identity. Baptism is this mystery that we cannot fully understand. But when we are baptized into Christ, our old self dies and our new self is clothed in Christ. When we do the baptism of these three children in just a moment, we're, um, we're going to watch something amazing happening. And we're not going to be able to really tell what's happening. But it's, it's going to be amazing because they are mysteriously being put into Christ. It's not just something cute that we just take pictures of. It is a miracle that is happening, and that we are getting to witness this morning, these kids being clothed in Christ. It's why they'll wear white when they get baptized. It's why we as clergy wear these white robes to remind us that we are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, that he has wrapped himself in our skin so that we can be wrapped in his righteousness and all of our sin washed away and buried with Christ in his death and baptism so we could be raised to newness of life. Our sins are drowned in that water of baptism so that we can be made new and be made clean. But it's not because of anything that we have done. It is because of what Christ has done. And it's because when God sees us, he sees Jesus. How different would your life be if you daily acknowledged that? If you remembered that when Christ looked at, when God looked at you, he saw Christ and he saw you as his beloved son, and beloved daughter, not because of anything you've done, not because of any way you've earned it, but because he sees Jesus. But my, my natural tendency in life is to wake up each morning feeling either rejected or prideful. You know, if things are going well, I'm like, all right, I'm the man, I, I'm, doing, I'm doing good. If, if I mess up, oh, I'm such a mess up. Like, there's no way that anybody should love me. There's no way that God could love me. And I bounce back and forth between that. But our baptism reminds us that our truest identity is not based upon our failures or our successes. It's based upon the work of Christ. We are beloved, not because of our work, but because of his. Our truest identity flows from the fountain of your baptism. That is who you are. And I think that's actually one of the main reasons we gather together on Sunday mornings each week to remember our baptism to remember that we have been put into Christ and that we are wrapped in Christ and to remember that our primary identity is being a child of God. So some of you are here this morning who have not been baptized. And um, just like John the Baptist, I owe it to you to tell you the truth that you are a sinner in need of a savior, just like me, that you are far worse off than you probably have ever realized. And that you desperately need someone to wrap you in the righteousness of God because you cannot do it on your own. And for those of you who are here this morning who have been baptized, 
I invite you to remember your baptism. In, this mo- in a moment, these, these three children are going to get baptized, and we're going to take oil, and we're going to mark the sign of the cross on their heads, and we're going to say, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. You know, every, uh, every new year, we all, a lot of us, make these New Year's resolutions, and we're like, I want to do these things, and we usually have broken them by, by this point in the year. And I would just encourage you, if you're looking for one change to make in your life this year that's, that's simple and that's doable, it's to remember your baptism every day. When you wake up and your thoughts begin racing and you feel accused by your inadequacies or motivated to earn the approval of others, mark yourself with the sign of the cross and remember your baptism before you do anything in the morning. Do that and say, I have, I have been baptized into Christ in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and this is my primary identity. I am released from the sins of yesterday, and I am washed and made new because his mercies are new every single morning. Those sins have been buried with Christ. They are dead. They are gone. They are as far as the east is from the west. Walk in freedom, not just on January 1st, but every day of the year. Let's remind ourselves that we are marked by our baptism. Let's remember that that Jesus has washed our sins away every day. When you get dressed in the morning and you feel tired of wearing those same old clothes and you look in your closet and you're like, I don't want to wear these or these don't fit anymore. They're reminding me how much of a failure I am when it comes to my body and eating. Do the sign of the cross over your closet and remember your baptism. And remember that, that Christ has clothed you in new garments and that those clothes don't define you. But the, the righteousness of Christ is what truly clothes you. And when you put your kids to bed at night, mark them with the sign of the cross. And remind them that they are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and that they're marked as Christ's own forever. And speak the words over them that the Father spoke over Jesus. You are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, and with you I am well pleased. Bless your kids. If you have a teenager and you're like, they're not going to want me to do that, and I ask their permission, could I, could I just pray over you at night a blessing and do the sign of the cross on your forehead and just mark you? as Christ on it, and remind you of your baptism. Celebrate their baptism days, not just their birthdays. Celebrate their baptism days. Celebrate and remind them that Christ has died for them and raised them to newness of life. Let's be a church who reminds one another of our baptism. When you are served the bread and wine today, we as your priests are reminding you that you are baptized into the body of Christ. When you offer someone undeserved forgiveness, at the passing of the peace, or when you receive undeserved forgiveness, you are being reminded of your baptism and that you have been forgiven, not because someone's nice to you, but because Jesus died on the cross for you and defeated death for you and rose from the grave and is alive forever. When you pass the peace today, remind someone of their true identity, of their baptism, that they are beloved. Church, hear the words that your father speaks over you. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughters. And with you, I am well pleased. Amen.